It has been my MO through life. If something doesn't resonate with me or feel right, then I take off. I say, I'm done. Mm -hmm. I got to go now. And it is the truth of the matter is it has served me well. What I now know, it was my intuition. It's my intuition. Mm -hmm. And to listen to that as children, we come into this world knowing we have a strong knowing. It's just through life and circumstances that we kind of lose that. Hello, and welcome to the Emotional Expedition Podcast. I'm Meg Thomas, and if you want to live a more open-hearted, magical life, it all starts with your emotions. This podcast will take you on a journey, helping you to better understand, express, release, and heal your emotions. Let's get exploring. I am so excited to introduce you to one of the people that has meant more to me in my life than just about anyone. And I've been waiting, waiting for that nudge from spirit that I knew she was going to be on this podcast. I just didn't know when. And I got the nudge that the time was now and ready to reach out for both of us. So I want to introduce you to someone I love so dearly, a mentor, a teacher, a healer. Her name is Bonita Shear. And I usually don't start by telling a story, but I have to tell a story of how she came into my life. So back when I was 22 years old and I was really sick, it was right after I had experienced this massive surgery that went all sorts of wrong. And at this point in my life, I didn't know what exactly had happened during that surgery. It was still a mystery to me because the doctors and the surgeon had lied about what actually happened. And the minister from the church where I grew up in brought Bonita to my hospital and said, you need to come help this 22-year-old girl who is withering away. And Bonita came and she brought her oils, her young living essential oils to the hospital and She gave me a little tiny slice of hope in that moment. And I went on to see her maybe, I think I went to her house maybe twice after that when I was in this just really critical stage of not knowing what was happening in my body, not being able to keep food in my body and literally just dying. And I remember her being one of the only lights that I saw in that year of being in and out of hospitals before I ultimately went to the Mayo Clinic and got the help and the information that I needed. And so after that time, when I came back from the Mayo Clinic, life went on. I got this second lease of life and I just went out and I built this big wedding photography business. And I didn't think about this moment (laughs) And this time that I had had with this really special healer, this woman, Bonita. And about eight years later, on October 31st, I think it was 2013. I'm not positive, but I know it was Halloween. And I had a dream, which was wild. And I just got goosebumps because we 
are recording this on Martin Luther King Jr.'s day. And it was a dream that I will never forget. And it changed my life. I had had the biggest season I had ever had in my wedding photography career. I had booked the most weddings. I had made the most money. And my equation of success was money equaled success, which must equal happiness. But I got to the end of the season, which for us in upstate New York, the end of October, you know, is pretty much towards the end of that season. And I realized I'm miserable. I just made the most money I've ever made in my life. And I am miserable. My body doesn't feel good. I don't feel good. I was relying heavily on medications because of all of the ramifications of the surgery that I had had. And I was just going through living on meds. And I had this dream and it was contact Bonita. It was this flash of a dream of her. I could not remember her last name. It had been eight years since I had had any contact with her. But luckily enough, her name and the universe helped lead me to her and find a website. And I sent her an email that now knowing her, she probably has received multiple times, not from me, but from many other people. To me, it was the weirdest, oddest email I'd ever written, which was like, at that point, I had never done yoga. I I wasn't in this super spiritual place. I was always connected to God, but I was not in the place that I'm at now. And, And the email went something like, I know you might think this is crazy, And I know you probably don't remember me, but I met you, you know, a couple times eight years ago. And I had a dream that I was to come see you. And of course, you know, within hours, I had an email response back from her of, yes, yes, I remember you. And telling me when to come see her. And sure enough, I went, made the trip out. And I remember being in her living room with her beautiful collie, her beautiful dog, Bella. And I just remember being like, what am I doing here? Like, it was just a moment from spirit. It was a moment of, you need to go do this. This dream is not a dream. This is a message that you need to listen. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, I have no idea why I am here. I have no idea what this woman offers. I have no, like, what am I? I had never done anything like this before. And this dream and her was the beginning of my spiritual awakening and it changed my life. In that first meeting, she handed me on a silver platter. She said, go do these three things. She introduced me to Kundalini Yoga. We sat on her floor and she showed me how to do the Har Abundance meditation. And I was like, I don't have any clue what this is, but I'll do it. Okay. She introduced me to Young Living Essential Oils. Here, try this, put this on, do this, order this, do this, right? And she introduced me to another beloved teacher who helped me find my way back to my own healing through food, Saraswati, who she introduced me and said, you need to go take a cleanse with this woman and figure out how to get your diet in order. And you can ask my mom, you can ask anyone in my life. 
I don't take direction well. That's why I became an entrepreneur. I do not listen when people tell me to do things. My first que- is to question everything, right? And I've now overcome a lot of that, but especially at that time. And this was the first person that was just like anything she told me to do, I would do. And she is now just completely helped change the trajectory of my life. And I will forever be grateful to her for helping me grow into the woman that I have become. And I want to share her with you and I want to share all of the magic that she holds and her story and her beauty. So welcome, Bonita. I know we were both getting a little teary-eyed there. What Thank an you for being here. Thank you. Thank you so much, Megan. I feel blessed with that beautiful introduction and how spirit works in both our lives, right? Mm-hmm. Isn't it interesting how we are connected? All of us are connected. The thing is to listen and pay attention and bring our, our gifts to the table, what we know works. And yes, I'm a bossy broad, because at this stage of my life, I'm 77 now, and I've wisdom is a great thing, a great, as far as learning all kinds of different modalities, health modalities, I had to go through my own health struggles in order to reach that, in order to know what I know. And now I just say with confidence, this is what I know will work for you, right? And that's as simple. It's so simple, really. And Martin Luther King Day, wow, that was a no-brainer because follow your dream, right? Yeah. And my dream dream. led me to you. So I didn't didn't even put that together until I started saying it. So It's the truth. It's like follow Mm -hmm. your dreams, your joy, your passion, and everything will unfold, Mm -hmm. right? Yes. Thank you. And thank you so much for bringing me on your podcast. Mm -hmm. I'm so proud of you. What you're doing. Thank you. So what was little Bonita like? Oh, a spitfire, a spitfire, my dear girl. I think yes. about that a lot because I grew up very Catholic. I grew up going to Catholic schools and following the rules and very much like you, we're both Geminis. I remember a moment in time, I did not like school. I didn't like to be bossed. And the nuns would have clickers and they would click the clickers for you to march and march into the school during after recess. Well, I wanted to stay in recess or go home. I didn't want to be there. So I would pretend I would march. I would do this march and then turn around and go the opposite way. And I was only little. I was in kindergarten, but I would take off. And the only way I knew to go home would be to go over railroad tracks to a park and I would end up home and say, I'm home. I came home because I didn't want to be in school. (laughs) It caused major commotion, which I didn't know at the time, right? It can't cause a huge commotion. They got the the head people of the schools. My grandmother went ballistic. They made, called all the superintendents. What's going on with this child? Well, the truth is I didn't like being bossed. End of story. Mm-hmm. I didn't like being told when to stand, when to sit, when to be quiet. And ends up, what ended up happening is it was a young nun who got 
sat down on the floor with me and started to cry. And she said, please, please, please stop running away. You're making us all crazy. (laughs) And it was her heart that hit my heart. And I said, okay, I'm going to stop. I will stop because I kept figuring out how I could escape. Right. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. And it's kind of my MO through life. It has been my MO through life. If something doesn't resonate with me or feel right, then I take off. I say, I'm done. Mm-hmm. I got to go mm-hmm. now. And it is the truth of the matter is it has served me well. What I now know, it was my intuition. It's my intuition. Mm-hmm. And to listen to that as children, we come into this world knowing. We have a strong knowing. It's just through life and circumstances that we kind of lose that. But just when you think there's no hope, boing, something comes along to shift your awareness, shift your consciousness, to put you in the right track, to put you in that vibration, right, of love, the love vibration. Yeah. Mm, that was a fun story. I didn't I didn't <laughs> know that about little Bonita, but I can see it. I can see yeah. that. <laughs> Were you in touch with your emotions as a child? Were you allowed to feel all the ways you feel now? And was that a part of your childhood? Yes and no. Yes and no. We had a very close-knit family. My parents adopted a family member, and she came to live with us, who was my dear, dear sister. She was 10 years older than I was. And then I had a brother 10 years older, so I was the baby. I was spoiled, which I love being spoiled, right? Mm-hmm. I was daddy's girl. So b- bottom line, I pretty much could finagle him to do the things I wanted him to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's always nice to be the youngest member of the family. But it's also, too, the way we grew up in that time period. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. My dad worked very, very hard. He uh, owned gas stations. So he worked in all kinds of weather, you know, the heat of summer, freezing in the winter. But he had great work ethics Mm -hmm. and a great business skill, which it really instilled in all of us in our family that your word was everything and that was important. And that I, I treasure. I think back, you know, especially as you get older, you think back of, all these memories. But my mom had a very, she was Irish, very volatile temper, ate a lot of candy. Now we know how bad candy is. Mm-hmm. She was frustrated though, because the truth is she was a gifted seamstress, gifted, made all our drapes, uh, made clothes, knit, did all these great things. But my dad was like, oh, no, no, you stay home. You have to stay home. And this is what you do. You stay home. I go to work. And the bigger picture, no, you know, she didn't know enough to say, no, I want to go out and go to work. Even she was offered a job. So interesting, you know, we diagnose everyone nowadays with bipolar, which mm-hmm. seems to be the new the trend. You're bipolar. Mm-hmm. I believe we're sensitive people. And when we have these addictions, it takes you very high or very low. And you don't have the tools to understand how this works unless you really delve into it and start doing your own research, which I've done over the years of how sugar affects us, right? And how our diets nowadays are affecting us all our health, 
But these are tools I've learned later in life. But as a child, I would just experience my mother's explosive temper. One minute it would be off the charts, and then she would feel horrible. And it was abusive. Truthfully, it was abusive. Mm-hmm. And then we just, you know, you put it under the rug somewhere. You just shove it under the rug and say, well, that's okay. She didn't really mean it. Yep. Yeah. And it uh, affects you. It does affect you on some level, for sure. There's only so much under the rug you can put. Yeah. It's true. Do you remember it having any effect on you as a child of, you know, was for me, a lot of the trauma and experience that I experienced being a child actually turned me into a perfectionist. Like there was this level of, you know, this desire to achieve and and to do things perfectly. And that kind of fueled me through middle school and into high school. And were you aware of any of how it would show up for you? No, I I think mostly I felt rebellious. Mm. I wanted to rebel. Yep. Because again, I didn't want to be told what to do or when to do it. And so I kind of went against the grain a lot mm-hmm. and painfully, painfully shy, Megan. If you can believe that, I remember dating this young guy during uh, in high school and his parents said, can she speak? Does she have a voice? Wow. And because I was so shy, I was afraid a lot of times to express myself mm-hmm. because I was afraid of get, maybe getting yelled at or, no, you don't do that. That's not the way you do it. And I'm like, in the back of my mind, I'm like, well, this doesn't feel right to me, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember in high school, because again, I went to all girl Catholic high school and I never fit in with the group, the cool kids. I wasn't part of their their group. And the truth is, I didn't want to be. So I started my own group. Mm, of course. <laughs> of, the uncool, of the uncool kids. I started my own, own group. And I'm like, I like these people much better. I beat more to that drum than I did the other. And then as, as you grow into maturity, you start to realize all the rules that were placed under until you start questioning. As you grow, you start to question. This doesn't feel right to me. Yeah. These rules don't feel right to me. And I love the Catholic Church. It, was, it served my purpose at that time for what I bless the priests and nuns. I was grateful to be in that energy of their teachings. But then again, so much of it didn't come from a love space. Mm-hmm. And it didn't resonate with me, especially when it came to gays and lesbians. We, oh, they were not allowed to be in the church or uh, things like that. And then I'm like, wait a minute. I don't think Jesus Christ taught like this. Mm-hmm. And then you start questioning. But as far as how your family affects you, oh my gosh, yes. Let's face yeah. it. But I do know on a bigger picture, I chose them to learn my lessons. I chose mm-hmm. this family, right? Mm-hmm. Can you, I, that's my belief system as well. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Especially somebody coming from this, you know, Catholic upbringing, when you say we chose our family, not everyone really understands what that means. What does that mean to you? Well, for me, it was for me to speak up because I was so painfully shy. Mm-hmm. I started to question. I started to question and speak up. And I, all of a sudden, I'm now having a voice. 
especially when it came to dating, when I started dating. And then I thought, woof, you are attracting all kinds of nice men into your life. This is fun. But I had very, as again, raised very strict Catholic. So there was a, let's say I was, I was not promiscuous, put it that way. Mm-hmm. I like to flirt. It was fun to flirt. But then don't come near me and don't definitely don't touch me. I had mm-hmm. this very big thing. Don't come near me and don't touch me. I can mm-hmm. flirt with you. So the boundaries were very strong until I started to feel trust, right? Until I started feeling one young man that I, I met when we bought a cottage in Canada. And I immediately had a boyfriend, right? When I moved to, when we had a cottage in Canada. And I learned to trust him. And it yeah. was a, that was the beginning of that relationship of, of having a man in my life, a young man that was funny and smart. And then I, and I started to speak up about the things I wanted and the things I didn't want to do, right? Mm-hmm. And it's that simple. You start to find out where are you comfortable at? What can I do? And allow people coming in closer to me, right? Mm-hmm. Even to this day, I still feel that boundary. I have yeah. a very strong boundary. I love you dearly, but I need to have that space for me to grow and be the person I want to be. Yeah. So that, that part of my, my growing up served me very well. Yeah. I love that. And the changing... It sounds like the ingredients you needed were to feel safe and to be able to trust someone for another part of you to bloom, like another part of you to be able to come out, which was being able to speak your truth and start to use your voice in a way. Right. Hmm. What did you dream of becoming when you were in this adolescent stage? Did you... Did you have an idea of what you wanted to do or be? Well, it's interesting. My mother had this, and it was just, again, her upbringing. She had this, the gift of the Irish telling stories and about how you were to catch the right man in your life. You were to, he was the catch. It was very, I think back now, it was really warped, to tell you the truth. But at the time, she was very magnetic and she had his great Irish personality, and she would share these stories about how you're going to catch the right man. And that would be the one who's going to take care of you for the rest of your life. And you're going to, that's your destiny. And I kept the question, you know, like, well, wait a minute, I want to go to college. I want to go do some other things. I want to travel. No, no, no. Girls don't do that. Girls do not do that. They, they're, they're the homemakers. They stay home. And uh, we're just going to find you the right man, and he's going to come into your life. So that was that mentality at that time, right? Mm-hmm. So then when I met my husband, Irish, charming, all of that uh, at a dance, and he pursued me. And then I had, then it was fun. I'm like, I'm having fun now. This, he's a really, really nice young man. And interesting, it didn't fit the MO for my mom. He did not fit that, what she wanted for me. So there was a lot, a lot, a lot. How many lots do I get? A conflict, (laughs) right? A lot of conflict. So I moved out, packed my Mm -hmm. bags one day. It was a big fight, moved out. 
and moved in with a friend who lived in the inner city of Buffalo. Mm. <laughs> I moved in to a dear, sweet girl that I worked with at the time. And she said, yeah, come stay with us. And I moved in bag and baggage. Because mm-hmm. I thought, I'm done being bossed. I'm done being told what to do. Yeah. Like all, all adolescents, you come to a point when you have to beat to your own drum. Yeah. You do. Mm. How old were you at that time? I got married at 21. Mm. 21, very young. Yeah. And uh, again, with the same mentality of it's, you know, to uh, support the husband, no matter what goes on, you support the husband. And, and then I had three children, pretty, well, the two boys close in age. And then my daughter came eight years later. Mm-hmm. So then you get busy with family life and raising children, especially two boys, they're full of it. <laughs> they are full of it. They are. Mm-hmm. And I think how lucky, right? I was lucky. I was blessed to stay home and do the thing that I love. I think about my life, how magical and how great, right? Yeah. Because the truth is, he did support us. And I got to stay home and be the mom I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Very, I felt very blessed. Very, very blessed. Yeah. How did your path to spirituality change and shift through this time? How did that continue Mm. to evolve? It's so interesting, Megan, because after you just telling your story, I realized uh, the parallel that we both have. So I had these two beautiful little boys uh, living in an adorable, finally bought an adorable little ranch house. And I'm living the dream. The boys are happy. We're happy. And uh, my ex-husband at the time was not happy. And he wanted to move back to family, back to Buffalo, where he had a, uh, a job offer. And I was not happy. I was so not happy. And through that, being totally miserable, thinking, what am I going to do? I was taking a class at the time about how to be a good parent from a beautiful minister. He offered this six-week course. And I wanted to be, you know, a, a good parent. So I took this, signed up for this course. And lo and behold, I went to see him and he started helping me to have a voice to speak up because I, I did not want to go back to Buffalo because I felt like I was going to be too much with family, too much. I was now feeling free finally. It was only what from Rochester to Buffalo, not that far, but I had enough distance where I could start to be my own person. Mm-hmm. So interesting how God works in our life. So I moved back to Buffalo uh, because of this job opportunity. We finally found the house that was just, I call it my Camelot phase. <laughs> it didn't last long. You know, there's a, there's a great movie, Fun with Dick and Jane, when they come and they take repossess the car the lawn, the shrubberies, they come and take it all away. Well, that was the Camelot phase for two years. My ex-husband at the time had a great job. We had the swimming pool. All the friends came to visit. And then my parents got sick. My mother got very, very sick. Announced. It was Christmas. It was right before Christmas. 
She said, I think I have a lump. Would you take a look at it? And I'll never forget that moment because my knees buckled. And I said, okay, why haven't you not gone to the doctor? What, mom, this is terrible. This is big and it's hard. And she said, I'm afraid. I said, well, we'll do it together. We'll go. We're going to go and find out. And it was, it was breast cancer. And she had to have a mastectomy. And it was extremely traumatic for my dad and the family to go through that. And the diagnosis at that time was pretty much gloom and doom. And through this, and again, because of this beautiful minister, kept saying to me, remember your voice. Because during this time, her temper got got ugly, really ugly. And the one she would pick on would be me. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, it would be I would be the scapegoat. I didn't do something the way she wanted. And I'll never forget. Isn't it interesting? You're bringing back all these memories. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. It was Valentine's Day. I was trying to bring everybody together for Valentine's Day. And it was some sarcastic or nasty remark she made. And I just let, I spoke up and I said, I'm done. I'm done with, I don't care. I'm sorry you have cancer. I didn't cause it. I'm not going to be your scapegoat. And I did it right there at the dining room table. Mm. And I said my piece and she got up and she left. And of course, dad followed and caused a riot and everybody's, oh my God, you've lost your mind. But I had to, I had to speak up. I didn't deserve that kind of treatment. And I won't, I won't from anyone at any time. I think it's important to speak up. Lo and behold, six weeks later, my husband at the time really talked to me, said, please make up with your mother. This is not the time to be upset with her. So I went to make peace and she listened to me. And she said, you really have been hurt over the years with my bad temper. And I said, yes. I'm sensitive. I'm a very sensitive person. And I think we all, I, not, some are more sensitive than others. And our words hurt. Energy hurts. So I, through that experience, she said, okay, I'm making a promise to you. I'm going to go see someone. I'm going to go see a therapist. Wow. Megan, wow. I was <laughs> floored. I was floored. I said, for real? She said, yes, I'm so sorry. We're getting ready for her to go. And she had a massive stroke. Mm. A massive stroke. And that was it. That was the beginning of hell. Mm -hmm. I call that the hell phase. We all go through trials and tribulations, but this was pure hell. Of going to the hospital, going through, you know, to to say that pull the plug on her because she uh, is not going to make it. She will not make it. Well, you know what? The Irish are something else. I'm going to say you never, you never can say no to the Irish because God bless her. She came up. They said, no, she wasn't going to make it. Guess what? Six weeks later, she was going to a facility for the care she needed. But she had aphasia. She had many other issues, health issues. But she came back. She was coming back. Right. Mm -hmm. And she was in a beautiful, beautiful facility where they took such good care of her. But my dad, because of 
his view of life is that if we all pull together, we can take care of your mother. We will be able to do this. We're going to pull together as a family and take care of her because I'm going to bring her out now. Now, mm-hmm. at this, come on. This is the part in everyone's life. You have to come to a, a time when you say, no, this isn't for the highest and best for everyone. Because at the time, I'm living on one end of the city. My niece is on another end of the city. My brother and sister-in-law are on somewhere else. We are trying to pull together as a family, but it's not enough health care. Yeah. And it's when people have serious problems, like my mother did, no, it was the worst decision, the worst possible decision to bring her home. But he did it anyway. Hmm. And yeah, it went downhill from there. It was horrible. Thank you for sharing. You're welcome. I would like to finish the story, if I can, Megan. I would be honored. Because this is the part of why I do what I do. Because I do realize we all have a breaking point. We all do. And never ever think we aren't capable of doing the worst possible thing to anyone given the right time and the right circumstances that you have in your life. So all of this pulling together wasn't enough for my dad. And my mother became violent because of phasia, losing that part of her brain. She had parts of uh, violence throwing knives and, oh my God, craziness, crazy. And she would flip in and out of this. And he became totally exhausted because he's taking care of her. He's the one there. And as life should have it, the health caregivers don't show up. So you're still there. And I remember the day before all this happened that my dad went to hug him and he was like a stone, nothing, no emotion, no nothing. And I said, Dad, we're going to get other help in. There's someone else coming tomorrow. Things are going to be okay, Dad. And he said, okay, no problem. Everything's okay. And I remember the next day calling him because my daughter at the time was sick. I had to stay home. She was sick. And I called and I said, how is you like the new person? What do you think? He said, oh, no, it's good. And I said, well, I'm going to drive out. He said, no, you're not. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're not going to drive out. Everything's fine. I want you to stay, take care of Katie. Do not come. At one o'clock in the morning, I receive a phone call from my sister-in-law saying, get in the car and come to us. Don't go to your mother and dad's house. You are to come directly to us. It's one o'clock in the morning. I had to wake my son up to take care of the other two. Drove out. My dad murdered my mother. And then he went to the bridge and killed himself. He committed suicide. And I share this story only because now we have so many young people, young people, 12, 13, killing themselves. Like, what's wrong with us that we're allowing this? What's wrong with adults and healthcare givers and doctors and psychiatrists that this is happening, yeah, right? What's wrong with our world? And that's mm-hmm. why I'm passionate about what I do. And I could, you know, people say, oh, well, it was an act of love. No, it was not an act of love. It was an act of pure hatred and violence mm-hmm. because my niece and I did our homework and investigated afterwards because my dad was the sweetest, kindest man. 
you would never think was capable of this kind of horrific act. Yeah. So when you live through something like that, yeah, it changes you. It makes you damn passionate about what you're doing. Mm. Yep. That's my story. And that's why I love my essential oils. Why do I love them so much? Because they change consciousness. They are plant-based medicine. Why do I love Kundalini Yoga? It's the energy of your body, your temple, that you can, you can shift your consciousness and space you're in by doing mantra, by doing chants. I'm deeply spiritual, deeply spiritual. Thank you for sharing this story. And yeah, I'm deeply moved by hearing it in this way and and knowing the who that you have become and the trauma that you've had to overcome and and so many people who've experienced really massive trauma choose to close their hearts down choose to protect themselves choose to just shut everything down like the feeling is too much and knowing who you are this beam of light and love how did you get to that place to be able to keep your heart open i know that the oils have helped you so much and yoga and meditation and mantra have been massive tools for you is there anything else you want to share of that journey to to your own yes because you know what i believe firmly that we all have a path in life, right? We all have different experiences, life experiences that bring us to where we are. And I've always had that, as I said, as a, even as a little girl saying, no, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be another tool. Maybe that's a, I'm inquisitive that way, Right. So when I was first introduced to uh, the the Young Living Oils, it was because I was told that I was going to be chronically ill. And I was only in my early 40s. With uh, I had Epstein-Barr, chronic fatigue. I was physically and emotionally spent. And I've gone through many, many kinds of therapy and counselors. And even after a while, you get sick. I wanted to put on a recording. Like, God... God bless my parents, put them to rest. Enough is enough, right? But then I had to take a better look at at what... I had a wonderful marriage. I was married 36 years. But I do believe there's a time when it's time to move on. It's not serving my higher purpose. And I bless my ex-husband every day. Thank you for the lessons. Because it wasn't serving either one of us anymore. And that's when I left after, and believe me, when I had all the, not much support in that area, because it was like, you, you, how are you ever going to make a living? I had no clue, not really at the time, but I knew I couldn't live in, um, I had to be free and move on. And that's it. I moved bag and baggage with seven oils. That's what I was introduced to by a group of women who one. One woman I dearly, dearly love who gave me my very first raindrop treatment 
And after that treatment, I said, wow, this is amazing. What is this stuff? Mm. And from that point on, I went and followed Gary Young. I took whatever means I had at the time, which wasn't very much financially. I just kept saying, oh, there's a charge card. I use that one. And this way, I don't have patience when people say, well, my finances, well, that's a BS, okay? You find a charge and fill it because this is trusting in God and your divine destiny. Mm-hmm. And I knew I had a divine destiny. And believe me, but I've been scared a lot of times. And then finding Kundalini Yoga, that was, that was hysterical. Once I found Kundalini Yoga, I was like, somebody plugged me into a socket. And I'm like, what is this? This is amazing, right? And so from there, you just keep saying, I want more of those things, more of that in my life, right? And it just, uh, you just keep evolving. Even moving now to, to the southern state of Richmond, it's been more challenging than I thought, much more challenging. But this Christmas, I'm like, I did it. I'm loving it here. I'm starting to meet people of like-mindedness, which is huge for me, Megan, to meet people of like-mindedness. Do you feel you attract them? You bet your bippy girl. (laughs) Thank you for for that one, because in the last two weeks, I've always played around with quantum physics, the law of attraction, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And during the holiday, because I'm amped up because, you know, I'm Chevy Chase on steroids, I get so excited about Christmas that I'm like, huh, nobody can rain on my parade. I'm loving it. I'm alone a lot. And as I said, I still have my Christmas tree up. But it's the simple things that bring me joy, focusing on the things that bring me joy. And then I found a, a combination of joy abundance, and jasmine. And I have to share this story because it's, yeah. uh, it's awesome. I'm checking out of a gro- my favorite grocery store, one that I love, and I'm checking out and the young lady behind the counter said, who are you and what was that? And I'm like, what? She said, oh my gosh, what is that? What is that aroma? What do you have on? And I told her, And I said, okay, my dear girl, if you go online and order that without talking to me first, you will not be a happy person. And she said, no, give me your card. I'm calling you. Well, she came here this this week and we totally hit it off. Mm. She's a jazz singer. Oh, she's adorable. But she gets frequency. She gets that. She gets the vibration of what we're talking about. The vibration of being in love and joy. She's living her her path, her passion. So more and more, I'm meeting those people of like-mindedness, which I've craved. Yeah, I've craved it. But I had to, again, get myself on track and realize this, this move was much more difficult. I'm still figuring it out. Believe me. Yeah. I'm still figuring out as far as how I want to um, navigate my next, how I'm going to keep that joy, the joy train going, that vibration of love going. And one is Sanatam Kar. She just came and did a beautiful, beautiful concert where it's all about amore and love and 
I was only three on her recording, but it's all about love. So it's oh, the very wow. first thing I push on in the morning, all about. What brings you joy? I put up a little bird sanctuary in the back. Mm-hmm. I got a heated bird bath. I went out and bought a heated bird bath for the birds. I'm living in nature, which I adore. I walk out that back and bam, I'm right there. Yeah. I have, yeah, I have the birds and squirrels and lovely people in this very quiet neighborhood. Very quiet. Mm. Which I realized is you and I, I think I don't know if it's just as you get older, but I realized I was craving quiet and peace. Yeah. It does bring it, me joy. And would you agree with if you didn't allow yourself to feel the grief, maybe shame, any of the pain, any of those harder emotions, if we numb those emotions, we're also numbing our joy. Like we have to go through the hard emotions, which I mean, yeah, to get to this place. 150%. That's why I'm so, I'm not saying there is a time, there is a time that pharmaceutical come into play, but my feeling has been way overused. And people are walking around numb. Yeah. And they don't have the highs of feeling really joy or love. They're sort of in the middle, very vanilla. I call it vanilla. I call it being flat, kind of flat, to say the least. And I have had the privilege, and I mean privilege, of traveling to so many beautiful, beautiful places in this world and experiencing different cultures. I love travel. And when I saw people in other countries, they had that. They were volatile. They were volatile. Then you knew what the, how they felt. Mm-hmm. And that to me is, yeah, I want to know how you're feeling. I think our emotions are a huge part. Yeah. So if you're always in that state of being, oh, well, just take this. This is going to work for you. And I'm not saying that. There are times when we do need support of some kind, but then figure it out. Figure mm-hmm. it out. Because who wants to live like that? Yeah. You know, and, and the other passion is food, food, vibration of healing food is huge. Mm. It's huge. Yeah, I got a lot of things that bring me joy, just oh. like you do, Megan. Mm. And to have been fed by you so many times, anytime <laughs> I show up on your doorstep when you were in Skinny Atlas, there was always food. There was always well, I'm something yeah. to nurture. Yeah. Yeah. And One last thing before we do the rapid fire questions, you have taught me so much about the power of manifesting and you introduced me to Tosha Silver and the book Outrageous Openness and helped me to just really, I mean, it would be like, I would talk to you and you would be getting ready to go on an airplane ride and you would be like, oh yeah, I'm just going to manifest, you know, a first class seat or in these things just seem to happen for you. So would you share a story about something you manifested? Maybe it's a plane ride. Maybe it's the home you're in now. Just how you've been Mm. able to change the way other people are so limited in the way they think of what's possible. Thank you. There's so many beautiful little 
beautiful tidbits and stories. But where I'm living right now, as I said, I was craving more quiet because the, I love, love my home in Skinny Atlas. But Skinny Atlas is a very active little community. And where I was living was very noisy, right? So now this is really funny, Megan, because I, the, the truth is I was having a good time with my granddaughter, Ren, and I, uh, I was playing with tarot cards. And I pulled a tarot card and I said, what do you think that means, Ren? And she said, oh, I know what that is. That means you're going to move to Richmond and be closer to your family here and spend more time with us. And it hit my heart mm. so hard. And I'm like, yeah. And that's when I made the decision right then, right then. Oh. And I said, you're exactly right, Ren. How did you know that? And she said, I just knew it, Yaya. You were going to come here. When I went back to Skinny Atlas, I literally, as I walked up the stairs, started grabbing things to move out. Mm-hmm. It's time after accumulating after 22 years, I had a lot of things to start limp, just getting them out, move it out, move it out, move it out. And then my son did not know. I texted him because he was at work and I texted him. I said, Kev, I'm looking for a three bedroom screened in porch in a quiet neighborhood. Do you think you could find something for me? Now, my son never calls me during the day. He's an orthodontist. He's, he works a lot of hours. He called me in seconds. Mom, <laughs> what are you talking about? I said, oh, no, I'm moving to Richmond. I forgot to tell you. I'm moving to Richmond. What? You, what? You really are? I said, yeah, I, I am. I'm planning. I'm starting now. I'm getting ready. Uh, but that's what I'm looking for. And this was just at the tail end of COVID. So, you know, hello. Oh my God. That's a whole other ball game. That was like, oh my God, what a nightmare, right? And he said, okay, Mr. Sarcastic as he is, he said, okay, mom, I'm on it. I'll start making flyers for you. Um, how does that sound? <laughs> I said, yeah, sounds great to me. Okay. Well, of course it was my daughter-in-law who got on it immediately. God bless her. She got on it and the two of us working together, lo and behold, I move into this and not without a lot of trials and tribulations, we all know as moving goes, I move into a three bedroom screened in porch. (laughs) And a few weeks after I move in, this gentleman, sweet man comes and knocks on my door to uh, introduce himself to the neighborhood. And he said, you know, you're the only one here that has a screened in porch. <laughs> and I'm like, what? He said, you're the only one in this community because uh, they did it. And after that, the people that you are running from had put that on their home. He said, they shut it down for everyone else. You're the only one. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yep, because why? I wrote it in my Power Wish Journal because I believe in the energy of your wish, your thoughts. She's a Japanese astrologer. And also because Gary Young always said, when you write, write in pencil. Pencil Mm. is a conduit for energy. Pens are not. I didn't know this. The brain is much more activated with a pencil, lead. So write it. And when he spoke, I listened. Whatever he said, I listened. He was a master teacher. So... Bam, I wrote it out. Mm-hmm. And so this, this is what I, I know to be true. And then you put your 
enthusiasm in Theo is in God. Enthusiasm. Enthusiasm. That's God. Mm. Come on. Could, you, could we, could we ma- muster up some enthusiasm? <laughs> <laughs> you just can't. Yeah, I mean, people go, oh, Benita, well, I did the uh, manifestation board. Didn't come true. Well, mm. that's only part of it. Yeah. That's only a little part of it. And you believe it. Like anytime you've told me something, yep, I'm going to manifest this. I'm going to, I'm getting this, whatever the thing is. And I always say now for my highest and best as well, I don't want to be so egotistical to think, because I did look at another home here that my daughter-in-law was very upset about, that I loved. I flipped over this place and I so wanted it. And she finally asked me, please listen to me. And I could tell she was upset. And I said, okay. I'll let it go yeah. because it wasn't for my highest and best. Nope. No. Mm. And I did listen. I had to buckle and listen to her. <laughs> mm. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. Are you ready for your rapid fire questions? Sure. What's your favorite book? The Miracle of Mindfulness by Thich Nhat Hanh. Okay. Adding that to my list. What are you currently reading? Edgar Casey, The Sleeping Prophet. Mm. What's one thing you know for sure? Joy, live in joy. Yeah. Do you have a favorite quote or poem or saying? Oh, Rumi. There's so much of Rumi poetry that I absolutely adore. And I have a lot of Deepak Chopra's books. Mm. When I need an inspiration, I just open up a book and just look for a random poem by Rumi. Yeah, I love Rumi poetry. Mm. Thank you. My favorite quote from you, one of them, there's many that comes come into my mind when I'm in a moment is, you said to me years ago, just row your own boat. <laughs> and so now whenever <laughs> I get all caught up in what everybody else is doing or what I should be doing mm-hmm. or any of those thoughts, I'm like, just row my own boat. Just row my <laughs> own boat. That's- that comes from Wayne Dyer, mm-hmm. you know, because we all get, we want to help other people so much, right? Yeah. But the truth is, no, just row your own boat. How did Christ teach? He yep. was an example. Mm-hmm. That's it. It's that plain and simple. The key, I think the key to that is there are some tough times when you have to say, I guess I can no longer associate with people that bring you down or mm-hmm. want to rain on your parade or I just have to disassociate. That's all. That's yeah. a difficult thing sometimes. Very. Yeah, very. I want to thank you so much for sharing your story and inspiring others as you have inspired me in so many ways and I'll have a link to all of your things in the show notes her Instagram she does these beautiful videos every Friday her website how you can also connect with her and she knows so much about young living oils and the magic of how much they can change your life so I'll put a link to her young living website and how you can connect with Bonita thank Thank you you, Megan thank Mm. you love you love you I'm so grateful you're here. Thank you for listening. And if you loved this episode, will you please share it with a friend or two? Be sure to rate, review, and follow the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts 
so you're sure to never miss a single episode. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.